Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. I'm joined today on the podcast by Tim Myers, Senior Research Associate that covers consumer staples. Tim is a fellow alum from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and joins me today to discuss his most recent industry perspectives piece about the future of consumer packaged goods. Tim's industry perspective, as well as other thought pieces written by various members of Diamond Hill's investment team, is available on our website, www.diamond-hill.com. Times are changing, and we're getting closer and closer to a return to the office. I am here in our recording studio in the office. Tim is joining me via Zoom. We still may have some sound issues, so I ask for your understanding uh, if any do arise. As always, stay safe and stay healthy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tim Myers. Tim, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you back on once more. Uh, your industry perspective piece that we're going to talk about today focuses on an area of the market that, as you mentioned in the piece, is almost an afterthought in our day-to-day activities. It's not flashy or exciting, you know, like something like electric cars or cell phones, but consumer packaged goods, or CPG, include things that are necessary, such as a tube of toothpaste, laundry detergent, or a bag of chips, which are integral to our daily lives and something that we often take for granted. Your piece opens up by discussing the impact of consumer packaged goods on our everyday life and how the industry may be changing coming out of the pandemic. Can you give us a quick background on the history of this industry and what you're seeing as it continues to evolve? Yeah, great. And thank you, Doug, for having me. It's great to be back on the podcast with you. So I'll try and um, try and be brief uh, and cover kind of 200 years of consumer packaged goods history here in three to five minutes. But, uh, you know, without getting too deep in the weeds, I'd say that, you know, to really understand the history of the consumer packaged goods or CPG industry is really to understand the history of consumption in capitalism in the U.S. You know, if you just think of dish soap, right? I mean, there's nothing revolutionary about dish soap, though there was a time in history and, and really not that long ago, to be honest, where it was revolutionary. I mean, people used to make their own and it was a very time intensive process and, you know, the outcome, you know, kind of inconsistent and businesses, you know, they saw a consumer need for, you know, something that was, you know, simple yet at the same time consistent. And that, uh, that need is something that we refer to in the industry as a search cost. And what that is, is, is really just the amount of time a consumer would spend searching for, uh, for a solution or, or a product to solve some type of solution. And if we just go back to the infancy of the industry, you know, search costs were very high. So there was a big opportunity for a business to come in and you know, simplify something in a consistent way. And, you know, CPG, as we, as we know it, is not a terribly old industry, you know, maybe 200 years or so, depending who you ask. But uh, if you boil it down, really, what I kind of call CPG 1.0 is just the simplification of, you know, eating, drinking, cleaning, uh, something consistent that the consumers of the day needed, that they, they were searching for something like that. And if you look back at the earliest brands 100, 200 years ago, they all share kind of one thing in common, and it's that they solved the real problem of the day. And consumers, they paid up for it, and uh, they have been for years. And so if you kind of just fast forward a little bit, you know, in the industries since evolved, and as has the consumer, 
And with the advent of radio and TV, you had, you know, the, the, the big marketing campaigns of Mar Madison Avenue and, um, you know, like what everybody saw, the Mad Men-like branding, uh, when marketing branding became kind of the lifeblood of the industry. Not to say that product development and research and development took a back seat, but when you think of kind of the nostalgic value of brands, that aspirational or, you know, redefining of almost a family, that marketing was a really important part of that. And that's kind of what I call CPG 2.0. And, you know, I'll try and bring it home here quick, but uh, to bring it back to the current day and the evolution of the consumer, I mean, we've mastered convenience, right? Like it takes, I don't know, like it takes me like three seconds to decide what toothpaste to buy. And that's a product of, you know, 200 years of CPG history, you know, CPG one and two. And, you know, we look out, where are we going? You know, well, where are search costs high? What, you know, what are the, what are kind of the issues of the day uh, that consumers would pay for? And I think that that's going to be the next wave. And, you know, as I allude to, I think it, it comes down to simplifying and making it more convenient to live a healthier life, uh, focusing on preventing illnesses and, doing so in a way that reduces our impact on, on the world and in the environment, making it more convenient. And, you know, from a health and wellness and environmental perspective, you know, I'd argue that the surge costs, you know, getting back to like the CPG one, like are still kind of high, you know, it's not easy to, to know what's always healthy for you um, or what's better for the environment. And I think if we look back in 50 years or so that some of the defining these will be some of the defining characteristics of the industry. Um, so sorry, that, that's kind of the long and short of, of the 200-year history of consumer packaged goods through my eyes. No, that's, that's great background. And, and you, know, you, you wrapped up talking about healthcare and, and ESG factors, and that leads mm -hmm. right into my next question. So you know, the consumer is changing, as you pointed out, you know, a focus on health and wellness, the ingredients, um, and these environmental, societal, and governance you know, aspects of what they're buying and what they're utilizing. And that mm -hmm. can alter, you know, a historic purchasing pattern. So how sure. quickly are companies able to shift to target consumers ever changing tastes and demands? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think, you know, it, it truthfully, it depends. Um, and, you know, change ultimately comes from the consumer, right? And so you need to be close to the consumer always because their tastes, their behaviors, you know, even like, purchasing occasions and patterns are always in flux. And, you know, when I th thinking about that question, you know, I, th there's a point, I think people always think that it's going to come from small businesses, right? The change or from the startup, right? Like that's where all the action is. But I think, you know, we've seen some large businesses that are very good at understanding their consumer and, you know, the, the trends and uh, demand patterns and even at creating uh, demand where there once, you know, there, there wasn't any. I, so it's like, for instance, like an example I use is Procter & Gamble creating the Tide Pods. Like no one knew that you needed detergent in a pod until P&G launched it and essentially created a whole new category. And they told you that you needed it. I mean, it's almost the same thing with Apple and the iPhone. No one knew you needed an iPhone until Apple, you know, invented it and told you you can't live without it. Um, so I'd say, some are better than others, but my point is that you have to be close to the consumer. And sure, startups are great. There's a lot of really interesting thing and change going on um, recently in the consumer packaged good world. But some large businesses can be just as nimble. Um, you just have to make sure that you're aligned to the consumer. 
So in, in a lot of the conversations, especially over the last year, you know, we've had analysts on here uh, that cover pharmaceutical companies as well as medical research and development companies. And they've spent a lot of time talking about the effort to develop vaccines for COVID-19 through mRNA, as well as other developments that can help extend the average life expectancy. In your piece, you talk about how developments in the consumer packaged goods market have contributed to the quality of an expectancy of life. Now, I can sit down and eat an entire bag of Doritos in one sitting, <laughs> and that's probably not what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, but how can the continued development of this space help consumers to live healthier lives? Yeah, uh, I can also eat a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I think the the key there is that we figured out how to give each consumer the opportunity to eat a bag of Doritos in one sitting. You know, that's <laughs> our world, and that's a, that's an amazing thing. You know, when you think about it, um, you know, your question is, you know, what's that? that next step, right? What's the continued development look like? Um, you know, when you think of these, these trends that we laid out, health, wellness, you know, climate, environmental impact, um, where, you know, as kind of going back to the first point, like search costs are still kind of high when it comes to selecting a healthier brand or a brand that might, you know, uh, be a little bit better for the environment. Um, you know, there's a big opportunity to make it just as easy to live healthy as it is for us to eat a bag of Doritos. Right. And I think, you know, just quickly, I, health and wellness, environmental, ESG, all these, these nice sounding words, I, I, it's a journey. You know, it's not going to happen overnight at, you know, the snap of a finger. Um, we're on a journey and the consumer evolves, but, you know, evolution takes time. And I mean, if you just think of, um, you know, the, the evolution of soda pop, you know, and soft drinks in America, you know, it, you, people used to not even blink and drink six, you know, Coca-Cola's a day. And then all of a sudden it changed to, okay, Diet Coke's better for you. And, you know, then Snapple was healthy for a while and it's loaded with sugar, but it, it was a journey. And now we have, you know, great products like buy and vitamin water, and I'm drinking a, a, a lemon perfect right now. And there's another drink, like an Olipop, that's a, a prebiotic soda, um, you know, and it's a journey and the consumer's on the journey and, you know, it, the continued development of space will help consumers live healthier lives. And, you know, the ones that do it um, and really, you know, take a claim, and there's some that are, in, again, big and small that are doing a really good job. So we'll just have to make that conscious decision to stop eating those bags of Doritos, it sounds Yeah, like. no, exactly. <laughs> So the main point of your piece is that the consumer packaged goods or CPG industry should look at what you referred to as CPG 1.0 to better plan for, I'll call it CPG 3.0 or 2.0. Yeah, that sounds good. Can you explain what you mean by that and how it can help the consumer? Yeah, sure. And, you know, I think it, it kind of just gets back to, you know, getting back to the roots, like you know, why do these brands exist? You know, many of them for a very good reason. You know, that's why they've been so successful um, over the past, you know, 100, 200 years. You know, it's amazing that we figured out how to make food and household products, you know, so convenient, you know, and the next level of that is doing it and making it easy to live a healthy and, you know, a fulfilling life and minimize your impact on the environment, you know, where again, search costs are still high. Um, you know, there's a big 
you know, where there's search costs, there's opportunities for, for businesses that play in brands. Um, so I think that like, when you think of like a CPG 3.0, um, it's about reinventing yourself. But, you know, many of these businesses, you know, the, the, when they started, you know, these brands started, it was to solve a societal issue of the day. And I think that, you know, we're faced with some new issues right now that, um, you know, present some pretty amazing and interesting opportunities for many of these businesses that, you know, are existing and new businesses to come. So I've got you here. So I'm going to mm -hmm. ask you a question I've been wondering about since, since all of this started back in February and March of last year. We've all been at home for, you know, a year and a half, forced to order food and grocery delivery or occasionally venturing out to the grocery store with our masks on, although that's ending, um, mm -hmm. and then ready to douse ourselves in hand sanitizer once we've gotten <laughs> home. But let's talk company specifics within the CPG space. Which companies were able to handle this, this shift that we've seen over the last year and a half, and which ones struggled to make that adjustment? Yeah, that's, it's a good question. And it's still a little early, I'd say, um, to tell. But what I can say definitively is that across the board, I've been very impressed with the strength of and agility of the supply chains of the major branded players um, from large cap to small cap. Uh, dealing with the unprecedented shifting in demand, um, you know, from brewers that essentially had their on-premise, um, you know, business completely shut off, right, um, overnight, you know, their ability to shift consumption to at home, it's been very impressive. Um, and there's been a big flock of, you know, consumers moving back into branded products. Um, but I, I think now that we're kind of coming out of you know, we are cycling that year-over-year -year initial pantry loading from the pandemic. It seems pretty clear that the businesses who really entered COVID from a position of strength are performing best from like a market share perspective, if you're just looking at market share. And, you know, two businesses um, that I think are doing a really fantastic job, two uh, of our large cap holdings, Mondelez and Procter & Gamble, you know, are gaining market share in a substantial portion of their U.S. revenue base and international revenue bases. And I, I, again, you know, I can talk about those businesses ad nauseum, but it's consumers realizing, you know, the things that they're doing and voting with their wallets. Um, I'd say the one area where you've seen struggle, and I, I just mentioned it, but private label and store branded, you've seen a big shift of consumers moving back to the, the tried and true, you know, the trusted brands. Um, you know, during this, this rare, rare period of vast uncertainty, um, you know, and again, that's consumers voting with their wallets and, um, you know, trusting in the brands that, you know, had been around for a while. Um, so I'd say, yeah, that, 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 that's been the struggle. There's been, you know, a great, you know, shift of consumer brands um, that we've seen since the, uh, the onset of the COVID pandemic. Well, Tim, I want to thank you for joining me today. Uh, next time we do this, we'll do it uh, maybe each with our own bag of Doritos. So I imagine that'd be pretty loud. Um, <laughs> but it's been great having you on. Uh, the piece is fantastic. Uh, listeners can get it at www.diamond-hill.com. Uh, I highly recommend it. And Tim, just thanks again. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you, Doug.
This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.